Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and I do not have a luau happening behind me, so my sound gets to remain fine, except for the fan I have to have on the background to cover up the noise of my neighbor. We can't We can't all be perfect, Charles, okay? It's true. It's true. Ugh. Let's, let's talk about some Star Wars. I've been staring at the CNN election counter way too much over the last couple of days. Uh, I need something light and not politics um, and no political messaging at all to distract me from this. Minus the actual political show that we're watching. I was going to say, Before we, we get into Andor, though, um, we have a couple of quick things. Uh, firstly, this is not necessarily a thing Charles fucked up. It's a thing Charles missed and was too good for him not to point out. So in the last episode, there's a shot right at the end of the Deidre and Bix scene where the door closes and the camera pans down to a set of boots walking and then pans back up. That is an exact shot mirror of a shot from A New Hope. Like, shot almost like a shot minute second by second like redo of that shot i was obligated to point that out uh anyway let's talk about the acolyte oh my god i was not expecting a fucking cast drop of the acolyte to this cast drop, plot drop it's started uh I think it's, has it been shooting for a while, I think. But they officially announced the plot and the cast. Uh, some of them we already knew. Amandala Stenberg, we already knew. Uh, Lee Jung-jae, we already knew. I forgot Manny Jacinto was in this. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot until I saw his face and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I saw his face and I was like, who is that absurdly pretty man? Oh, it's Manny Jacinto. I forgot he was in this. Uh, and I think we also knew Charlie Barnett was going to be in it. I think we'd heard that a while back. Yeah, I think we might have discussed that a long time ago for like a hot second. For like two seconds here, I think we discussed it. Uh, well, we got five new ones. Uh, we've got Rebecca Henderson, who's the wife of the showrunner. We've got Daphne Keene, Jodie Turner-Smith. Uh, Dean Charles Chapman is going to be in this. That was unexpected. Tom, Tom and Baratheon is going to be in this. Uh, and then finally, the the most exciting one for me personally, which is Carrie Ann motherfucking Moss. Unexpected, but amazing choice. <laughs> amazing choice. The energy of this cast, my God. Yeah, I'm like really scared that this might end up being my favorite Star Wars <laughs> thing ever because it looks so good. I'm like, and we don't even know anything. Like, oh, it's amazing. We have one behind the scenes shot of, it looks like a Mandela and Lee and uh, Les Leslie Headland. Uh, but that's it. We've we've got the cast list and we've got a plot summary. And what is that plot summary, Charles? A former Padawan reunites with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. Um. So I love that this is going to be a like a dark thriller. Like I am so. Pump. This looks so good. Like, first of all, the, the High Republic is a fantastic period because it really lets you go absolutely apeshit with the Jedi. I love that the main character, and I, I assume that this is who Amanda Stenberg is playing, uh, 
and I assume that Lee Jung Jae is the master. Uh, but I love that it's like a former Padawan. It's not a current Padawan. Yeah. It's like an ex-Padawan who teams up with her old master. Like, they don't seem like they're that old. So I'm confused at the timeline. Like, how long ago were they the, you know, the master and the student? Yeah, that's maybe not even that long ago. It's possible that uh, Amanda, assuming it's Amanda's character, the 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 Padawan like dropped out like very very recently. Like maybe she was almost done with her Padawan training. I don't know. I don't. There's so much we don't know at this point. And just like, based on the way that the picture is set up, because where I can only compare it to the Kenobi cast picture that we had last time, it has to make sense that Amanda is obviously the top billing, and then Lee Jung is the master. I mean, it just makes sense like just based on what i think which does that mean manny jacinto is the villain i was about to say is manny jacinto playing uh playing darth plagueis if they hide that beautiful man behind an alien i will be fucking pissed i will be livid either way i mean it's an amazing cast they all look great and i'm very excited to see where this goes and more information revealed as we continue through this process i'm excited for carrie ann moss uh to join the ranks of star wars women that i want to step on me like not even sexually just in general i want to step on me we are a mature mature podcast by adult speaking of adult podcast um some other news came out yes literally today as we record this which lucasfilm i don't know whether or not it was your partners in this that made this decision but the fuck are you announcing something literally the day before it comes out but uh, we found out earlier today that apparently a Studio Ghibli Baby Yoda short is going to drop on Disney+. Plus. Like, at the time this episode comes out, the short will have aired, but we're recording it the day before it comes out. And because I'm on Hawaii time, I'm literally going to watch this short right after we're done recording. <laughs> like, I'm, they, I'll basically have, like, to wait for it to come out for, like, another, you know, hour or so, and I'll be yeah, able to watch is it. it. Yeah. Because it'll come out midnight your time, right? Theoretically. Yeah, and I'll be fucking asleep. Yeah, and I won't. This will be the first time I get to watch something before Charles. <laughs> Bradley gets to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think the closest you've come is the latest episode of Andor, or two episodes of Andor ago, you watched it at the same time I did. I'm so happy for you on this journey. I'm glad you found the one good thing about Hawaii. Is that I get to watch, uh, by the way, the short is called Zen, Grogu, and Dust Bunnies. Um, So this is going to be really adorable, and it's all hand-drawn, and I'm very excited to watch this for, like, it's going to be so good. Wow, yeah, no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm I think after Andor I need a little like calm something and calm and meditative. Well, what's so interesting about this too is this leads me to believe that because of this partnership that they clearly have already done that they are now going to theoretically be open to doing one of their visions episodes with Studio please, Ghibli. Please. Oh my fuck, god. That would be so good. Oh my god, that would be so fucking good. Alrighty. So quickly I will do my Mon Mothma minute here. Um, mostly just about her earrings. Like the whole outfit is incredible but for some reason when I was rewatching 
watching, I like hyper fixated on the earrings because they're this kind of gold like sweeping design that's way more ornate than I would have expected from Mon, but looking at it, it just like makes complete sense because the whole Chandrillan aesthetic is like, it, it like elegance through simplicity and looking at these earrings, I was like, these are much larger earrings than I would expect, but they just look so good and they radiate this like serenity and elegance, like everything uh, that the Chandrillans do. Also, the outfit, absolutely phenomenal. And the way she just like commands the situ the room that she's in, uh, it's uh, it's so good. I She's fantastic. She's a mood and I want to be her when I grow up, except maybe less liberal. And you will, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've wasted enough time on other things that are not Andor. Bradley, you want to go ahead and take us into the episode? Sure. So this week, we're going to be talking about Andor episode 10 titled One Way Out. A rare opportunity opens and the time for Cassian and his fellow inmates to act is now. Charles, what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? Uh, one thing I liked was everything and one thing I did not like was nothing. <laughs> 10 out of 10, no Classic, notes. classic, classic. No, I, I, I love that once again, you know, we've had two episodes of buildup and these were two very dark episodes of buildup. And so the cathartic release of this episode felt very strong. Like this episode essentially was nothing but cathartic release, at least on the Andor side of things. And so it was just so, so rewarding to watch this prison break occur. Uh, one thing I, I didn't like, I sort of struggle with this because again, it's it's nearly a perfect episode. Like they're just absolutely knocking it out of the park here. Um, I did think it was a little distracting to keep cutting away. I, I thought maybe we should have spent a little more time with the prison. Like if I was going to make any change at all, like which I don't want to, but if you put a blaster to my head and said, make a change to this episode, little more prison escape, little less other stuff that's happening that's clearly supposed to set up the finale. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's the one thing I can barely vaguely find that I maybe would change. Bradley, what about you? One thing you liked and one thing you did not? Um, One thing I liked about this episode was that I, I actually agree with you. I, I think, like, if you could have kept the prison stuff together, um, I think it would have worked really well. Honestly, you could have just put the prison kind of just in the middle and just said, like, that was the middle of the episode and then just do the other stuff at the either the end or the beginning. Um, and book end it but i really like um andy circus's acting in this episode i know that's such a oh like a God. like a lame thing to just be like oh yeah i like his acting um because oh my god that man's so good I feel like Star Wars has no business being like this good. And honestly, like if this, if this show does not get Star Wars an, an Emmy for anything other than like sound design or like costumes or whatever, or special effects, like, and it, like, I feel like this show, at least if you had to submit like an episode or something like Andy Serkis is acting in these three episodes, any one of these episodes you could submit for an Emmy nom. And I'd be like, yeah, he's going to win for best supporting because so good. So here's, good. Here's the thing, right? I love me some Rings of Power. I love me some House of the Dragon. You know I love me my messy dragon show. They're fighting like UFC fighting for these Emmys. Andor is out here fighting like 3 a.m. Denny's parking lot fighting. Andor does not care if you live or die. It is all in for everything. The Emmys this year is gonna be are gonna be brutal. No, for sure. Um 
But one thing I didn't really like about the episode, I mean, honestly, this is such a like a little again, a nitpicky thing. And it is the sidelining of the Deidre and Cyril scenes. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of like not yeah, really Cyril present. Yeah, Cyril wasn't in this at all. And it's such right. a short episode that it's it you could I mean, have slotted him in somewhere. I, I see why he wasn't in it because clearly you know the last episode showed us you know he's kind of getting unhinged and i guess they're just setting that up for the final two right like he's going to complete his arc in the next two um deidre on the other hand on this episode felt really weird like it's like she was in it for like 2.5 seconds to just you know give us exposition and then left like and then doesn't explain what she does afterwards like so i mean i get that they were setting up other storyline of our, our other side character later on we'll talk about um but it just yeah it just seemed weird that she was like randomly for two seconds in it and then never seen again yeah it felt like this episode was sort of torn between wanting to end the prison arc for cassian and set up the finale for everyone else so we could dive right into it which in retrospect is kind of what it was doing for all the side characters who weren't cassian at the Narkina 5 prison, the medic removes Olaf's corpse from the prison floor. Later, Cassian tells Kino they must escape tomorrow before Olaf is replaced. Kino is skeptical of Andor's plan, and later at the barracks, Kino confirms Andor's story and tells the other prisoners that they are not releasing anyone. So it's it's interesting. First of all, I really, really love the choice that like Kino still hadn't 100% made up his mind after the last episode, that he had to be convinced, you know, go now. Uh, loved that. But I also think that we're seeing something interesting with Cassian here because Cassian, I'm going to have a hot take. Cassian Andor is not really a leader necessarily. Right. Cassian Andor is a support. And what we're seeing here is Cassian leaning into that supporting someone else who is in a better position to get the re revolution that he wants. And we'll see he'll he'll do it again. Jen Ursa is going to be the one who takes the lead. And Cassian's going to be the one who rallies people to support her in Rogue One. So I think it's interesting that we're seeing that here. And also later in the episode, we'll see it. Yeah, we're just, we're. I think what they're doing here in this prison episode, and I think the whole reason why we got these prison episodes was really just to see on a small scale how Cassian does this like lead a revolution essentially and you're right what we're seeing is he's not the leader he is the right hand man or he is going to end up being the catalyst of whatever the rebellion is it doesn't have to necessarily be the leader of the rebellion because what we see is that clearly Luthen is that character or is trying to be that character and then he's trying to get his spark of the rebellion which is Cassie. yes absolutely and will there'll be a direct comparison between kino boy and luthan rail later on i'll i'll get to specifically but yeah i i think that it would have been easy to to focus on a character who's sort of this revolutionary leader in the way that kino is uh or we see mon mothma will eventually become by the time of the original trilogy they're not they're focusing on somebody who helps revolutions start the prisoners lead their own revolution. Cassian just helps get that ball rolling. And this conversation that he has with Kino really under underscores that theme of these episodes. Because I think Cassian also recognizes too that he, he's starting to recognize that he needs other people. That he can't do things by himself. Like in the first few episodes we saw, he was constantly trying to do things by himself. And then sort of he saw through Aldani the power of, of people working together. Because they wouldn't have made it out of Aldani if they hadn't you know, worked together. 
God, those first three episodes feel like a lifetime ago. Forever ago. And that's because we're on episode 10, because theoretically, you know, we've only ever gotten six to eight episodes of a Star Wars show. So like we really Except have when not... we were doing Bad Batch. Right. So Bad and Batch felt like two lifetimes. Right, exactly. And we so, gotta do that shit again in January. I know. And so it's weird being in this one world for so long because we genuinely have not had this time. And I actually, what's funny is if you would have asked me before we started doing Andor, like if I prefer the the Mandalorian method of eight episodes, or if I prefer the Cassian method of, or Andor episodes of, you know, 12, I, you know, I think HBO is the one that kind of popularized, I guess the 10 episode, you know, section of a show or for a season. I, I don't know. I, I, I fluctuate between 10 and 12 because sometimes you need those final two to really wrap up stuff. And Andor is proving that like you can do the solid 10 and that's a great thing, but then you need those two last ones to really give us a finale. Sometimes uh, it helps to have some extra padding on your episode there where you can maybe uh, set things up or explain why characters are acting a certain way. Uh, Not going to call out any Game of Thrones specifically, but I will say there were certain shows that maybe could have benefited from a few extra episodes to explain why the hell your characters are doing what they're doing. I I also just want to highlight once again, especially in the sequence where uh, Kino's listening to everyone's feet and he's like, he's weighing all the decisions in his head and it's all coming down on him. And Andy Serkis is acting, sir, you are in this show with Diego Luna, Stellan Skarsgård, Genevieve O'Reilly, Forrest motherfucking Whitaker, and you are going to be the standout acting performance of this entire show. It is a show where every single actor has been hitting home run after home run. You showed up and hit a home run directly into the scoreboard and punched through it. Hats off to your goddamn acting, sir, because that was fucking flawless. At the ISB, Deidre receives news that the Krieger rebels have taken the bait of the dead pilot. Supervisor Lonnie convinces Major Partagaz that Imperial forces should not wait, but should make their presence felt. So we do get a brief mention, and we actually got it in the last episode of uh, Kefreen. I didn't mention that last time because it kind of slipped me by. Some of these episodes have so much shit in it that I miss things. Uh, the Ring of Kafreen is the planet where we first meet, uh, the, well, not the planet, but the space station thing where we first meet Cassian in Rogue One. Oh, that's so right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yep. That's Kafreen. So I know we've, we've sort of gone back and forth on do we want to talk about Lonnie, uh, but he's important enough in this episode. I can't remember genuinely whether or not we talked about Lonnie's I actor mean, previously, but we'll talk it, about we're gonna it, yeah. it again. We're going to do it again. It, we're going to do it again. He's important. <laughs> he's important and we can't remember. So fuck it. Who's playing Lonnie? Supervisor Lonnie Jiang. Lonnie is played by Robert Ems. Uh, he has previously been on shows like His Dark Materials and Chernobyl, which you're a fan of. Yep. Please go watch Chernobyl. It's an incredible, incredible show. It's only five episodes, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm looking well, through his his credits and he's not been in 
a whole lot else, but those are the big two. Uh, also, for Claire out there, he was also in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I was, he was <laughs> there you go. Mark. There you go. Um, I want to talk about this character, even though, I mean, even if we weren't going to bring him up. It's funny because you did say last week you teased us because I want to. Okay, I'm going to preface this with this episode. We both made predictions that came true and we both were correct. So we're going to talk about yours right now, which was Supervisor Lonnie. You were like, I don't know if I trust this ginger. And you were correct. Because you can't trust a ginger. Can't trust a ginger. You look you look as far back as my dating history and it will tell you you can't trust a ginger. Also, you can't trust men. That does also seem to be a running theme of my dating history. And I want to point out too, like they don't explicitly say he's suspicious in this scene, but there is a moment where he's awkwardly looking at part of gas, like, huh, he's believing like the things I'm saying almost. And it's like a weird, it's a weird look. It's also so weird because he's like, uh, he's like uh, really quiet the entire rest of the time. He's really quiet. He's really not good at his job. And then suddenly he pulls this shit out. Like, what the fuck, man? That was immediately suspicious to me. And I think there's a second where Deidre looks at him weird. Like, yeah, Deidre is like so confused by this. She's like, what in the hell? Yeah, she's like, where did this come from all of a sudden that you're like so interested and ready to go? And like, you know, I don't know. She's she's too smart for everybody else. Um, Because I think she might be a little suspicious of him now. Like, if not, I feel like, uh, yeah, it's going to go bad for him later on. But we'll see. Well, we're going to find out later in the episode how badly these things are going to go for him. Uh, I also need to mention in this scene uh, that Partagas' coat is slick as fuck. I was going to say, why does Partagas have to bust in the room with his Burberry coat, like, come in here, <laughs> like, fashionista? He is looking like, he's like, the ISB has some fabulous coats, and... Uh, I fucking dig it. I love it. It's very imperial chic. You know, he he works the room when he comes in. It's a very nice trench coat. I, I do believe we see that coat on Deidre in one of the trailers, I think. Yeah, I believe, yeah, I think I believe you're right. it is on Deidre in on... one of the trailers. For a second, I thought it might be Rogue One. Like we saw it in Rogue One. But then I was like, no, no. Krennic is just wearing like just a cape. Yeah, Another version of, of his normal robe thing like his normal uniform that's the word i'm looking for i don't know oh, okay, where the okay. fuck my brain is tonight back in the narkina prison the following day kino convinces them that they should escape the prisoners report to their shifts as usual on ferrix a lady informs a doctor that marva has not been taking her meds the group are being watched by cinta who is in turn being watched by an isb agent yeah so i want to point out something specific about this scene and that is that Cassian does not appear to have slept. So it seems like he's, what, been, like, like awake all night? Like, either A, planning, or B, just couldn't sleep because of the plan? Yeah, just couldn't sleep. And I think that's interesting because he was able to sleep on Aldani. And he, like, remember his conversation with Nimic? And Nimic is like, how do you, how do you sleep during this? Yeah, it's interesting that Cassian didn't sleep in this situation. Interesting that, yeah, he's kind of like on the other side of this quote-unquote rebellion, right? Or this little act of rebellion, because before he had no investment in it, essentially, mm-hmm. other than being paid. It was just a job. Now his right. life's on the line. Now his life's on now the line. Now he can't nervous. sleep. 
Right. Uh, once again, I feel the need to point out here, going into the the other prison scenes, again, I need to point out, there are a lot of cast members in these scenes. Uh, people like uh, Rasak Kikoyi, I do apologize for mispronouncing that name, uh, Tom Reed, Joseph Davies. Uh, these are all people we don't have time to cover because we don't have a lot of time on the show. But go to IMDb. Uh, Brian Bobel is another guy who's playing Jembok. Just go to IMDb and look these people up. We don't have time to cover them all in the show, but it is worth looking at all of the people in the prison art. Uh, I just needed to point that out. That we're not trying to diminish somebody by not covering them. We just, we're trying to avoid running through IMDb lists all of the time. Although speaking of running through IMDb lists, I, I do want to talk about who's playing Dr. Momoy, not because this is an interesting like IMDb thing, uh, but because this is actually a pretty cool cameo. Uh, do you have written down who's playing Dr. Momoy, the, the doctor that's brought in for Marva? Uh, I don't actually. So Dr. Momoy is played by Matt Dunkley, according to IMDb. Matt Dunkley has only two acting credits. Uh, this in 2022 and something called Stan and Ollie in 2018 where he plays a conductor. The reason he plays a conductor is because Ma uh, Matt Dunkley has 226 music department credits. Oh, wow. This man is an extremely prolific composer and some of those credits... Sorry, I need to correct myself. This man is an extremely prolific conductor not composer. He is the conductor of the orchestra. So, you know, when they record soundtracks for films, this is the guy who's conducting the orchestra. And one of those credits is as the conductor for Andor. Ah, so when you hear Nicholas Bertel's okay. banger fucking score, Matt uh, Matt Dunk Dunkley is the guy who is composing, or he's not composing it, conducting it. Conducting it. Okay, cool. He has also conducted, uh, good Lord, let me go through some of these uh, Top Gun Maverick, Succession, WandaVision for the theme song, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, His Dark Materials. There's just so much here. Yeah, that's that's who this is. So I thought it was 100% worth mentioning this little cameo here. Do you have anything um, about Cinta and the ISB agent in particular? Only I'm... that the ISB agent is there. Yeah, because I didn't and quite catch that. I didn't that. notice. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't catch notice. it until I did my note. Twitter had to point that out to me. Okay, see, I, I only noticed... Well, um, that's not true. I noticed in the episode that they were holding on a, quote-unquote, I thought, an extra for a little too long, and I didn't think anything of it. Like, oh, I, I was like, they just kind of stayed on this guy too long. And then I realized, going back, that he is an ISB agent that has showed up multiple times. So I just thought that was funny that, like, he's been now following Cinta, which is not good. <laughs> Yeah, I had exactly the same thought because somebody was like, oh, it's that guy that was in the background. This show is so absurdly tight in terms of like how every every shot, every line of dialogue potentially means something. Nothing is wasted here. Nothing is wasted. Not a single thing. It's incredible. So yeah, it's, it's this one guy who was in the episode where Deidre was interrogating Cyril. On Coruscant, Senator Mon Mothma and Tay Colma meet with Chandrillan banker 
Davo Skolden. They discuss Mothma's efforts to secure alternative funding arrangements for her foundation. He offers to help her, but only in exchange for introducing his 14-year-old son to Mothma's 13-year-old daughter. Mothma expresses her disapproval of the Shandrillan tradition of child betrothals and claims she won't accept his offer. Elsewhere, Clea informs Luthen that she found a message that someone wants to arrange a meeting. You want to tell us who's playing Davos Golden before we uh, we jump into this scene? Yeah, absolutely. So Davos Golden is played by Richard Delaney. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, uh, or it's Delane. I can't. Delane, I, I think. Richard Delane. Delane. If it's Richard pronounced Delane. the same way as uh, the guy who played Stannis Baratheon, it's Delane. Delane. Okay. Um, he's been in The Crown, a popular theme in this show and uh the dark knight he was in that that's i thought it was fun he was also in two episodes of doctor who oh of course there's another doctor who connection we you know this show there's a lot of incestuous shows here on this show because they're casting <laughs> a lot of british people oh yeah for sure uh, i do also want to shout out who was in the movie argo that movie rules uh if you have not watched if you like andor and you have not watched argo Go watch Argo. It's based on the true story of how some guy faked a film shoot in order to get some people that were hiding in the Canadian ambassador's house uh, in Iran during the Iran hostage crisis out. It's absolutely wild. Go watch that movie. All right. Good recommendation. Anyway, um, so... Bradley, you liked House of the Dragon, right? I did. You did? Uh, were you surprised to see Andor picking up where House of the Dragon left off in terms of weird fucked up marriage arrangements? You know, I wasn't going to put uh, child marriage on my 2022 Andor bingo card. Um, however, uh, I don't know what America's obsession is with uh, not only siblings getting married, cousins getting married and now children getting married i really don't know what we uh what we're doing here in america but that all aside uh this is amazing scene work because first of all i didn't realize the shandrillan custom of child marriages like what the fuck well it's it's teenage marriages yes child child I mean, marriages yeah. and like they're betrothing them at age 13 and 14 and they're marrying right. them when they're late teenagers and i'm like what in the fuck is this but we said remember we said like it was two or three episodes ago we said what if you know her daughter is at that age and they put it right I, in our lap they were just Jesus, like there you go jeez andor is not subtle about where it's going oh absolutely not and i i love this plot point too because this it brings it back to the whole parent thing like we were talking about like why they're together if they're you know that maybe they fell out of love or whatever the situation is but now it's like wait a minute they also had an arranged marriage at, as teenagers like what and and it, it's like basically it's brought all of the disparate parts of mine story together right because essentially what she is being asked to do she is being asked to sell her daughter in order to get the funding needed for the rebellion which is an immensely fucked up situation to put her in my and, god i mean and also like now going back and watching a new hope you have to think now like huh mon mothma sold her daughter so that this moment well we happen. don't know if she did it she well that's true to it. You're right. We don't. She's opposed to it, but we don't know if she went through with it. But we, we don't know, know if she's actually going to try to go through with it. Yeah, because so that's the knows? brilliance of the writing. You don't know. You don't know. What What I love about this scene is the fact that there's so much 
it's it's three people sitting on a couch talking, but it's about the interplays of power that Davos Skulden has the power in this scene by all by all accounts. He has what Mon and Tay need. Uh, they are really in no position to refuse anything that he wants. And Mon is still digging her heels in, trying to retain what power she has over the situation. And it's a back and forth between them while she's also trying not to lie. She's trying not to give away what they're actually doing. There's a lot of intense interplay here and especially where the way that Davo maneuvers Mon into this by bringing up the Shandrillan customs and the fact that Mon is kind of trapped in her role as the Shandrillan senator, as the representative for Shandrilla, to where he it's masterful the way he works this situation because he basically like is constantly reinforcing the traditions and how important the traditions are and then he's like oh by the way that one tradition we have about the child betrothals let's talk about that one because i want to get my kid married to a senator's daughter and if you if you look at it at face value he's really technically not asking for a lot because she like he's clearly doing shady things with the money right and that's whatever right but that's putting him in a position of like you know danger and he's all he's asking is that they be introduced to each other he's not even asking for the actual proposal or anything he's literally well, that's, asking that's the insidiousness of it because that's right. how it starts right and mon can recognize how it starts and mon wants to break the cycle but as it is pointed out to her by Davos Galden, she is not in a position to live a non-conforming life. Like, this scene is so good. <laughs> and what's funny too is I, I don't want to like predict how much they're going to go into this plot yet because I don't know necessarily how much they're going to give value to this, but I could foresee a plot where they do have to do the introduction. So let's say she does go at least to that point of the deal and then, you know, have the daughter actually like the other kid and then possibly be like, that's what turns her even more against Mon where she's like, oh, you can't see him or like make it so that she can't be with him. And then she's like, what? I love him, you know, kind of bullshit. Like I see that happening. Like this young love thing. Oh, this could go so many ways. So many ways. It's so this good. Go like so they gave ways. us so many options and it's so great. And honestly, the acting of just Mon alone, like just her face, like just all the time, she just is trying to hold it in and it's just like she can't the way like, she oh, snaps so at the end and he's like oh that's the first untrue thing you've said yep i love like, it oh and she's also too she's up against a villain who can play her game who knows what she's about because she's been so good at this so far but he has her maneuvered into a corner where it's a question of don't get the money for the rebellion it's a choice between herself and her daughter what she's going to choose and she can you know we don't know what she's going to do it's so anxiety inducing i need next week to come quickly uh it's mentioned that the emperor did his banking regulations without consulting the Senate, which is yet another uh, reminder that the Senate has no real power at all. There was a fun Easter egg in Luthen's gallery when uh, Clea went in to talk to him. Did you catch it? To catch what he was cleaning oh yes he was cleaning uh padme's uh i don't know if you call her travel crown or what, <laughs> whatever yeah, it like is her, her headdress her headpiece yeah crown thing yeah it's yep. just from the uh, attack of the clones and it's the piece that she wears when her and anakin are traveling back to naboo or whatever did you just know that off the top of your head yes actually i did <laughs> 
Okay, please remind the audience what your favorite Star Wars movie is. Um, probably Solo, a Star Wars story. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I genuinely like Attack of the Clones. I think it's a fun um, film, uh, if art film, um, that some people enjoy because when they were children, uh, that movie came out. And uh, that's why they like it. Also, because they love the three monsters in the uh, Coliseum scene. Uh, and they had the one toy as a kid and they were obsessed with the cat monster that they didn't know the name of at the time and then then later in college uh eventually one of the things that uh will lead them to actually start becoming friendly with their eventual co-host was the realization that both of them owned this exact same toy yeah this is more gold gaze history for you There's some gold scratching gays history, yes. Uh, no, that's, yeah, that's the little Padme Easter egg in there, which is fun. Back at the prison, Andor and his fellow prisoners put their escape plan into action. Andor cuts a pipe in the refresher, causing a leak. Two other prisoners stage a fight to distract the guards, and due to the water leak, the electric floors short circuit. The prisoners begin to riot and escape. Cassian and Kino are able to make their way to the control room and take over the intercom. They inspire the rest of the prison to climb, and Loy does not escape because he can't swim. So I I highlighted the specific line, don't die until you put up a fight, uh, just because I love that line so much, uh, and also will speak so highly to where Cassian is going as a character. I just want to mention that before I dive into my first serious note about the prison break which is um guess what they didn't do bradley what's that do you know why this works because they didn't show us the plan before they didn't they did tell the us plan. the plan before they did it they exactly. showed us hints of cassian uh, and the other inmate putting together the plan but they never explained the plan to us we never knew exactly what the plan was we only knew that the plan was to grab them as they were uh, dropping the new prisoner off. So that is why this succeeds, because they did, they were wise enough, the prisoners were wise enough not to tell the audience their escape plan before yeah, they did you know, it. That, thank God, because otherwise this would have been a really sad episode if they have tried to escape and then they didn't. Oh my God. This show is dark, but not that dark. Speaking of things that are dark, God, I've been... So when this episode aired... Uh, when this episode aired, there were people in the Divas Discord literally tagging me like, oh my god, Bradley was right about them using the water to create an electrical malfunction. And I was like, god damn it, I am going to have to look at that smug fucking twink's face when he realizes he clocked it. Do you want to talk about the thing that you got right this episode, Bradley? I would love to talk about the thing that I got right this episode. <laughs> so you predicted that they were attempting to cut open the pipe in order to create an electrical malfunction. I will give you, you were correct. And and uh, theoretically, I, I was, ha- well, I was kind of half right, right? Like, so I, I it said that- It was split that... into two. You, right. you had said the, the malfunction was going to be the distraction. The malfunction is happening at the same time as the distraction. Right. So it kind of was a dual distraction because 
I think later on we see that the guards are kind of freaking out because there's like there's a floor malfunction and they're freaking out, but they're like, wait, there's also people fighting like we have to deal with that, you know, so it was kind of a multi-faceted plan. But yes, it was uh, a very classic tropes of distracting the guards so that you can actually escape and put your plan into action. So I fucking I fucking hate two things about this situation. I hate that Bradley was right. um, And I hate that other people let me know that Bradley was right. (laughs) Just reinforcing for me personally to have to live with the fact that Bradley was right. And so now we're introducing a new segment into the show called Bradley Was Right. And that is your first one of the season. Uh, hopefully we'll things, have many more to come. Things Bradley was right about. Right. See, it's 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 the, the contrast to the thing Charles fucked up. There's two sides to every coin. There's always the light and the dark. Uh, always two there are. There you oh, go. That's, a I'm light trying to side and it. a dark side. There you go. Uh, we get we get the reinforcement, of course, of climb the the word climb, which is a central theme. Well, I was going to say this series. is now the third character, right, to say it, or it's, in, it's the, in the, the in the total. In the total, in yes. The show, if you right. count K two, if you count yes. K two, right, um, which is interesting because i'm finding this this climb thing because it's like okay so now moving forward if anybody else says climb they're either a gonna die and be a super influential person in cassian's life so it's gonna be like so far we've seen two people one that introduces the idea of rebellion and why the empire is bad essentially a manifesto of sort and then your second character who is inspiring him to escape and lead and you know and then of course we know about k2so in later on and i'm interested to see if like they'll do another character that theoretically says climb before we get to the introduction of k2so in the oh, we'll almost certainly we'll almost certainly get one in the finale i i hope because it gets me right in my soul every time it happens well i am thinking it might be luthan at you know because we oh, don't know what no, happens to him no no <laughs> fuck off uh cassian just starts straight murdering people oh of course yeah in classic cassian <laughs> form in classic cassian fashion cassian does two things uh he lies and he shoots people which we support uh absolutely 100 percent support what they're doing here uh i do also want to point out did you notice the the colors of the uniforms that the laborers are wearing? No, not really. It's white and orange. Uh, orange, the orange in particular, is reminiscent of the rebellion flight suits. Oh, okay, yeah, because they're orange and white. So when they have the blasters and they're running around, it's it's kind of a visual like reference to the rebels. I see, and they're in the sterile white kind of you know rooms and it kind of makes sense because that's it, like it makes the orange yeah. pop out yep. too absolutely yeah no uh so they run in at one point they run in and they take over the the main area of the place and there's the warden the intake warden who we already talked about uh but do we want to talk about apostle the other guy in the room who's playing apostle sure uh, so apostle is being played by james cooney doesn't have a lot of credits but he's mostly in looks like does royal shakespeare company stuff like that's what he does okay so that's who's our our one scene wonder here playing the more cooperative of the prisoners uh i do want to bring up the use of negative space in this episode because this is a very suspenseful episode and part of it's an episode that's not afraid to be quiet there are these pauses particularly these long pauses in this scene where kino's like leaning over the a new hope style uh communicator and like there's nothing 
there's nothing there is such a great suspense builder. And I love, like I said, Cassian has to be the catalyst and, you know, kind of force Kino to like, go for it. Like, just, just do it. Like, they're only going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to me because they trust you because you have established dominance. You've established yourself as the quote unquote leader of the prison. And so you have to be the one to inspire them. I can't do that. I'm just the person who's trying to get everyone out. And the only way I can do that is through you. So I need you to kind of go for it. <laughs> he, he does hesitate. Cassian, Cassian recognizes that that you don't have to be a leader to start a revolution. But part of starting a revolution is finding leaders and inspiring them to lead their people. And that's something that we see him doing for Kino in this scene, which is just awesome. Just an awesome scene. Uh Andy Circus, your your voice alone in this scene, which with the echo does kind of sound like Snoke. I I can't really unhear that. But I mean, what are you gonna do? What are you What are you gonna do? It It's not the fault of Andor. It's the outside knowledge of me knowing what Snoke sounds like. And let's just be thankful that in an alternate universe, you know, there was a Marvel style cutscene at the end of this where the prison blows up and then Kino Loy's face gets all fucked up and he becomes, uh, he realizes he's force sensitive or some bullshit. And then there you go. That's Snoke's backstory. (laughs) On the one hand, Andor has been very careful. There was actually a, uh, there was actually an interview with Tony Gilroy earlier this week where he was talking about how they were very careful. They were really using the story group as a resource to inspire them. So they would go and ask, what canonically do we know about X? And then they would build off of that, which is how we got the Mon Mothma story is they went to them and they were like, what do we know about Mon Mothma? Not a whole lot about our family. So on the one hand, it was absolutely awesome that they used the story group much in the same way the Obi-Wan Kenobi show did. Uh, used it to its full potential to really make it exciting and i i wish that other shows would have also used the story group for that same thing however i do think andor retconning the snoke origin story would have been extremely fucking funny it would have been funny in a sense but then also oh yeah it's funny in the abstract i would have hated it if it would have actually happened right and we've talked about too that possibly you know bad batch may or may not be delving slightly into that storyline we're not quite sure yet uh once that kind of starts coming through we'll talk about it mandalorian uh, and bad batch are both doing weird yeah kind of weird stuff so we'll see if that snoke stuff comes back to bite has no no patience for that and or just wants to do fucking banger kino speeches that make me tear up every time i listen to it i also think it's important that kino uh reinforces the notion of solidarity when he talks about make sure everybody gets out you see someone that's lost or struggling you help because that's also an important thing is in this microcosm of revolution that you want to make sure that people who are fighting alongside you are getting support from you that you're focused on the people on either side of you and behind you as much as you are on what's in front of you so i thought that was a really cool element of the speech uh i also love that the guards just hid like I was expecting them yeah, to burst out. They're not, an they're not getting and... paid enough. They just they're like No, they just hide like, like cowards. <laughs> All right, let's let's address the the Kino Loy can't swim. Arguably one of the saddest things in the world because what this lets us know is that the whole entire time he knew this. 
He knew that they were surrounded by water. He knew that he couldn't swim. He knew that there was never a chance for him to escape. And he still went through with this whole thing in the end because that's just... I will now read a quote to you. Okay. Uh, And I will not tell you where this quote is from. Okay. I burn my life for a sunrise I'll never see. Is it going to be either Snoke it's, it's or... This, it's this episode. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. this is the parallel between Kino and, and Luthen. Because Luthen, the whole point of him, and, and we'll get to that scene in a minute, is that he made a calculation to get the galaxy out of fascism 15 years ago. And he's trying to see that through, but he knows he will never get to see that freedom. Right. He's fighting for someone else. He's not going to make it that long. Kino Loy is a microcosm of that. Kino Loy had to lead and inspire and pull together the prisoners, but he was never going to make it out. He was he was doing it for himself. And I think his shock at realizing just how far he would have had to swim was genuine. I think he thought he would have been able to get out. I don't think he realized that swimming was part of the equation, but once he gets up there and he realizes, oh, I did all this and I would never be able to benefit from it, which is the tragedy of Kino Loy's story in these three episodes. It just hurts, man. It just hurts. Finally, I would be remiss to point out that, yes, the prisons do look like the little imperial symbol. Fuck you, my one friend who has never barely watched a Star Wars before this. Went to Rise of Skywalker and hated it. That has been his experience with Star Wars, is loving Andor, and texted me that. And I went, God damn it. How did you catch this and I didn't? Oh, really? Because I thought this was like really reminiscent of the Senate floor. I completely missed that these things were the Imperial Cogs. And my friend had to point it out to me and I'm like, you don't even know what a Han Solo is. (laughs) Sit there and tell me, point out these small details in Andor's. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm so mad. On Coruscant, a disguised supervisor Jung walks through the lower levels of Coruscant. He meets up with Luthen and reveals that he has been working secretly against the Empire to help Luthen. Jung says that he can't continue being a double agent because he has a daughter now. Luthen tells him that he must continue being a hero for the rebellion. Back on Narkina 5, Andor and Melshi escape together under the cover of night. Luthen looks so evil in his scene. Like I think that's definitely intended. Like he's supposed to be. In, yeah, he's supposed to be very the intimidating. Door, the door opens and he's like got this sweeping black cloak behind him. And he's staring, standing ominously on this catwalk, which I mean makes sense because essentially in the scene he's half threatening, half bullying Lonnie into remaining with them when Lonnie's trying to back out. Now it's suddenly the rebellions become real for him, but my god Luthen looks like a villain here. Well, and he's essentially doing like his, the character or whatever what he's doing in this scene is essentially being like, hey, you know, yeah being a rebel is fucking hard and honestly uh, we're, you know we're gonna do whatever we can to win too so you better get in line otherwise we're gonna destroy you like kind of thing is like what he's saying and then, then Luthen proceeds to give the speech that changes lives like I was watching this uh once again my my boyfriend and I did actually get to watch this together uh dead silence in the room when this speech was going on there was nothing this is masterful writing by Bo Willimon masterful delivery by Stellan Skarsgård it's just my god man just it's 
it may be the ultimate scene where I have no notes because it's that good. Yeah, I don't know what else to say other than like, that's why when I that? simplified my notes, it was literally like, I don't know what to say. It's just a great monologue. He gives you a great example of like what, you know, he says, I, he's like, what have you sacrificed? Like, I've sacrificed everything. That's basically what he said. I mean, it's- And if he just said, I sacrificed everything- that would be like okay you you feel we feel bad for you man but right. no he gives this fucking banger monologue about how like i made an equation 15 years ago i'll burn for a sunset i'll never get to see i'm doomed to use the tools of my enemy against them and i'm like what the fuck man bo so good. so good bo you did not need to pop off this hard which like i said if you're gonna submit an episode for an emmy disney this this uh, one this, this is one. the episode to submit i think you need to submit, submit this, this one. episode because it, it got it's got everything in it you know for this even for this speech by itself like good good lord and then yeah we do we do see uh melshi and cassie and like running we can kind of see like searchlights on the beach behind them so it's sort of implied that they're the only two that managed to get out which is sad but you know somebody got out right and you know we don't know how big this planet is or like what the you know the beach is like or what the you know the environment's like so maybe there's other ones hiding around but it maybe it's just a deserted planet and so there's not really anywhere to go um so it might not be like well, clearly a they both get off escape. of it because we see them later on true that that's true but like for all we know that planet is not inhabited so we don't know how they escape for all we know i mean maybe there's a town that they get to in the next episode and we'll see them escape and then that's how we start you know that journey i'm but sure we'll figure it out i'm sure we will Hey, Bradley, you want to hear something amazing before we enter our final thoughts? Sure. I think if you subtract the Acolyte, we just did an Andor episode where the length of our coverage on the Andor episode was the length of the episode itself. <laughs> we should, I should, when I'm editing, I should just like uh, play the episode just timeline. I could just see how long exactly the episode is and just see like if it's the exact same time. Uh, well, it helps that we weren't introducing a bunch of new people. It helps oh, yeah. that uh, this was mainly just the culmination and I'll, I'll segue into my final thoughts. This was mainly just the culmination of the really dark prison arc and and it was incredible like it it was great as a finale for this and it's really got me pumped like going into these last two episodes like what's gonna happen next we don't know but i personally am very very excited to see how this all comes to a head and i'm very excited to see how this leads into the second season uh forming the the end of the first chapter in the three chapter story of cassie Andor that'll finish out with rogue one what about you bradley final thoughts um, yeah, so I, I like this episode a lot. I think you're right. I think this is the best arc so far. Um, I At least it's the most entertaining. And it's to me, I, I love the darkness. I think that's great. I think this show has proven that we need more adult Star Wars is what I'm going to call it. Um, not that regular Star Wars is bad by any means. It's just a different experience and a different thing that you want to watch at a different time. And this arc alone proves that and the show proves that mature star wars is doable and it's successful if it's well written and it has amazing actors like the ones that we have in this episode i before this show i would not have agreed with you uh but after this show i agree with you a hundred percent uh it it shouldn't be the norm but it's absolutely doable to tackle more mature stories in this universe which is 
awesome and not just put fucking zombies in it. That's not what adult shit means, Star Wars. I I haven't forgotten about Death Troopers, and until the day I die, neither will any of you. All right. Before we close out the show, another friendly reminder from me to the audience that if you are not listening to Four Light and Dice, the High Republic era TTRPG actual play podcast that I am on, you should be doing that. It's really good. Uh, And yes, that is it. So Bradley, we will be back next week for part one of the Andor finale, and then we're doing Tales of the Jedi, right? That's correct. I feel like our audience has gotten a little bored with us being, like, pleased with things. Yeah, I think so, so maybe uh, Maybe something will come up here shortly that uh, at least one (laughs) of us was was very not pleased with. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for your, I guess we'll call it Christmas present because it's, it's gonna be all Christmas of December. Present. Listen, listen. Complaining about a thing that I didn't really like is a, my Christmas gift to me. Basically. My other Christmas gift to me is you run the socials so I can get out of here. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. That was the most in-sync bathroom break I've ever seen in my life. Good timing, good timing. We literally <laughs> sat down at the exact same time. So that Stood up at the same time, sat down at the same time. That was incredible. I and I stopped that. to talk to the cat. <laughs>